is. The book of Philippians in chapter 2. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. And verse 5. Let this bind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then would you turn over with me, please, to 2 Peter in chapter 1. Verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then back, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Read from verse 3. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you, Lord, is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him. 
by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality of your word. We thank you for its truth, which endures throughout all generations. We thank you for the reality of the God that we serve. And we want to praise you and thank you that you've given us the scriptures, that we might be enlightened as to your purpose and as to your way. Lord, would you feed us with the living bread from heaven. We pray that we would not hear as from a man, but we would hear as from God. We look to you for these things, Father, and just pray that your anointing would be upon my speaking and all our hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we start, I want to bring a glaring admission that I haven't actually welcomed back Helen amongst us after being away for a few weeks. Helen, it's really great to see you back. Great to have you back with us. And we'll praise God for answered prayer concerning your health. So please forgive me for not mentioning earlier. But it's great to have you with us. And we praise the Lord for what he has done. Praise the Lord. Well, if you turn back with me to the first scripture we just read in the book of Philippians, please. And chapter 2. Now, if you remember last week, which I'm sure some of you may not, some of you may not because you were not here, and others perhaps have had a busy week, but nonetheless, um, I'll just do a very, very brief recap. I rem- just by reminder, you remember last week I spoke about that verse from the book of Revelation, where the Lord says, strengthen the things that remain. There are a number of things that we have lost within our nation, spiritually. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's been a loss within the church. There's been things that we once had that seem to have been lost. And the whole uh, uh, emphasis on strengthening the things that remain means hold fast to what you still have. And uh, there are things that we could lose in the future unless we hold firm to them now. Do you understand what I'm saying? And uh, as we mentioned last week, there was various uh, teaching, there's various um, ways of functioning as believers that we've lost, that our forefathers had. And we looked through uh, a number of the different types of um, uh, works that God did in our nation through the Reformation, the Reformers and the Puritans and Whitfield and Wesley and all of these things. And we saw, didn't we, that we're not really where we once were. And there is a need for us to kindle afresh that sacred flame. It's almost as though the testimony has grown dim within our nation. And we need to pray that the Lord would revive his church in the midst of the years, don't we? This is what we were singing about earlier, about reviving the work. We need a reviving work within the church. Unfortunately, we have a misunderstanding within the church of what revival even is. 
and we think of revival of us as a simply all going out and preaching everywhere and telling everybody about the Lord and them all coming to know the Lord. Well, that's a very simplistic understanding of revival. In fact, people who are not born again cannot be revived. You can't revive what was never alive in the first place. Revive means to bring back to life. And it seems to me that this is what we need within the church. We need a reviving of the people of God, an awakening, if you like, as to how apathetic we've actually become to spiritual things. And I think this is across the board, isn't it? We see there's a lethargy. There is an apathy over us. It's as though spiritual things don't really concern us as the people of God the way they ought to. Why we're so concerned about our own lives. We're concerned about politics. We get concerned even about our favorite football team or our favorite sport. We get taken up in these things and they are so important to us. We get taken up in our work and what we're doing with our work. Well, some of these things are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. But the point is, where are our priorities? That's the question. And surely our primary Priority should be to be about the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But unfortunately, so often we seek in other things first, aren't we? We need to get back to being concerned for the purposes of God in our day and generation. We can't be those that are, in a sense, accountable for previous generations. But we're accountable for the generations we, generation we live in, aren't we? For the way we live, the way we're about our home, the way we are about the people round about us on our streets, what kind of witness and testimony we hold in the workplace. God wants us to be those that are primarily concerned with his purposes. And those purposes being worked out in the earth in the days that we're living in. May the Lord grant us to have right priorities this year, right at the start of this year, that the Lord will get hold of our hearts. You know, people at this time of year have New Year's rev resolutions, don't they? And that usually lasts for about three weeks. And people get an idea of what they want to do at the start of the year. Some people decide, after eating a little bit too much, that they're going to go on some kind of fitness regime, you know, out every morning, six till seven, running down the streets. And they have a real desire to do it. And they get out there and they, they're running for about three weeks. And then they sort of find themselves finding it a little bit difficult. And suddenly they skip a week or two and the whole thing falls to the ground. Well, New Year's resolutions aren't particularly... I'm not sure how, what the percentage of those who keep them is, but I imagine it's quite a small percentage. What does God want us to have? What is God's priorities? See, this is, should be our concern at the start of the year, year, shouldn't it? What is God's priorities for us as a church, for us as individuals within 2020? This is what we need to be concerned with. And surely one of our concerns needs to be that we might have a, a strengthening of those things which remain. Well, we've lost a lot, but thank God. He is a God who enables us to recover things, isn't he? I think of David when he went out to battle. And he went out to fight with the Philistines against Saul, which was a mistake. And they prevented him from doing so, which I think was God's sovereign hand over the situation. 
But as David went back to Ziklag, where all the families were camped, he found that all the goods had been removed. The enemy had come in and taken the wives and the children away, and all seemed to be lost. And even his own men were ready to stone him because of the situation he was in. And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him, and that he went after his enemies, and they recovered everything that they had lost. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And it shows us that God wants there to be recovery, a strengthening of what remains, but also, dare we even ask the Lord that we might recover a little of what we've lost as well, that we might know a little of reviving in our day. We need to be revived. The way this nation is going, the, the kind of philosophies this nation has taken on, the kind of legislation that is coming in, it is time for the church to wake up and begin to be concerned about what's happening. Oh, so often we're so concerned with our own lives, aren't we? It's my Christianity, my life, and it's almost like everything in heaven must revolve around me. But when we come into some maturity with God, we start to realize, hang on, this is not about me. This is about what God wants to do and God's purposes. And we see, don't we, the younger generation being taught things that are completely contrary to the word of God. And the question comes to us, what is it to us? What is it to us? What is it to you personally that children are being taught wicked things now? Does it concern you? Have you prayed? Have I prayed? Are we asking the Lord for something of a, a blockage to this constant push of iniquity in our land? Do we want to see something of the walls built up around Jerusalem again? We think about Nehemiah. Think how his heart was vexed and grieved over the state of Jerusalem when he was in Babylon. He wasn't even in Jerusalem. He was in Babylon. But he had a burden for the city of God the centerpiece of God's purposes on the earth. Are we concerned for what God is doing on the earth now, in our own lives, in our area, in the church generally? This is what should be our attention. Actually, most of our depression might lift a little if we just got our eyes off ourselves, wouldn't it? And I'm not belittling difficult situations that we're in, but bring them to God and see the Lord is on the throne and able to take things on. So we need to pray that the Lord would strengthen what remains. And we looked last week specifically of something that needs to be strengthened in the, in, in, in the church. And that is the reality of the new birth being a miraculous happening. We've brought down something of the wonder and the glory of the new birth to merely us making a decision for Christ. And it worries me that within the church, we have tried to broaden the door so wide to accommodate as many as we can, and even being willing to compromise on the truth of the gospel in the process. It's almost as though, as long as we can get people to say yes to Jesus, we can get them in the congregation and enable them to work for the church. We're in a, the recruitment business rather than being concerned that souls are saved from sin. And that's what we should be about, isn't it? That is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I can be saved from the power of sin over my life. That's the wonder of the, and the glory of the new birth. What did Jesus come to do? 
He didn't come to save us in our sins, did he? He came to save us from our sins, the word of God says. To deliver you from sin in your life. To deliver you from sin dominating you and ruining you. Oh, praise God. And we looked at the, the book of Genesis as an illustration of what happens in the new birth. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1? And we looked at it because actually Paul refers to it in relation to salvation in Corinthians. And here in Genesis 1, we saw about how there was a void and an emptiness. And God spoke into the emptiness and said, let there be light. And there was light. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God was at work. There's so much in that passage. You can get the previous teaching. I don't want to go over it all again. But what I want to do is extend upon what we looked at last week. We looked at the importance of the new birth, the miracle of it, which we're losing, friends. And you remember I made... That I, I gave an illustration of that when I mentioned I was on a tour in a particular place where one of the leaders of this evangelical tour was not even born again by their own admission. So I'm not uh, making this up. I think we're losing the, the, the fact that the new birth must be something that God initiates upon a person. It's not something I can suddenly decide for. I'm not saved because I raise my hands in a meeting. I'm saved when the Lord says I'm saved. <laughs> and not before then. And there needs to be repentance involved. And a turning from sin. And we can't be saved by our own efforts or the will of the flesh. It's very clear, isn't it, concerning that truth in the Gospel of John and chapter 1. We find that we are not born of the will of man. None of us can be, but by the will of God, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, now, I want to move on from that, though, and now and focus a little more on what the evidence is that we've really, what evidence is there that we've really been born again of the Spirit of God. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, friends, that there needs to be evidence that one is born again of the Spirit of God. There needs to be evidence. It's not just a case of me saying, I believe in the Lord. James makes the point in his epistle that the devils believe in God. Basically, big deal, you believe in God. Doesn't make much of a difference, really. There needs to be some evidence that you've been born again of the Spirit of God. There needs to be evidence that I have been born again of the Spirit of God. And the Word indeed shows us something of what that evidence is. And we look at it and we find something of it, I believe, in Philippians chapter 2. In the second verse of the two verses I aim to focus on now. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now there's no doubt that Paul is writing to believers. Clearly, he's writing to those who know the Lord. He says, for example, right at the beginning... 
Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. He says to them in verse 6, the verse I mentioned earlier, being confident of this very thing, which he has begun a good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And in verse 12 of chapter 2, he calls this particular church, my beloved. That's a wonderful statement, isn't it? So he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about those who are genuinely born again of the Spirit of God, those who know God. And he says, as you have always obeyed. Again, another evidence. This is a church that obviously are people that know the Lord. But then he goes on to say this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now I want to take the second of those verses first and then go back to the previous one. So I hope you don't mind going backwards. Sometimes we have to do these things. But this particular second verse speaks about God worketh in you. Now this is an evidence that somebody is born again of the Spirit of God. God works in them. It's the working in. This is something of the glory of the new covenant. In the old covenant, the law of God was written on tablets of stone and the law of God was declared to the people outwardly. But here we read about the word, as it were, being placed inwardly. God works in us. This is something of the wonder and the beauty and the loveliness of the Christian faith. It's not that God just simply tells me to do things. He actually works those things into my life. The law that was once outward under the old covenant has now become inward. And now God has put in my heart the very things that once I responded contrary to. This is the amazing thing of the new covenant, friends. And he says particularly that God worketh in you both to will and to do. Both to will and to do. So an evidence that you and I have been born again of the Spirit is God is working into us the desires of his heart. We once had a will that was against the purposes of God. Why, don't you know that? Can't you look back and you can see in the past how inwardly your will was against the word of God? In fact, the word of God shows every one of us we're contrary to the works of God. We don't want the law of God. We're rebels at heart. We're those that hate the things of God. That's what we're like. That's our nature, our carnal nature. We're rebels. We're those that don't want anything to do with God. We cast off all restraint so that we will have our own way. We will not have this man to rule over us. That's the nature of our hearts, friends, before we're born again of the Spirit. You may say to me, well, I wasn't like that. But dear friends, you're deceived if you think you weren't. All of us were like that. All of us were lost in our sins. There's none righteous, no, not one. Doesn't matter how nice we were. Doesn't matter how outwardly there seemed to be a pleasing personality. Inwardly, the Word of God consigns all of us to being rebels at heart. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Amen. You see, even the phones agree with me. Now, 
If we're dead in our trespasses and sins, if we're darkened inwardly, there's not a lot we can do about it, is there? Don't you think? Now imagine if all of us got hold of this fact that we really were rebels, darkened in our hearts, uh, the, the spirits working in us, in the sons of disobedience. We were alienated from God. Now imagine if we come to that revelation that we're really like that. Don't you think we'll be more concerned to lay hold of God that people might be saved by his power and not by our own schemes and inventions? Do you understand what I'm saying? The more you see yourself, or the more we see ourselves as set apart, away from God, unable to save ourselves, the more we see the miraculous of the new birth. Do you see what I'm saying? But if you think, generally speaking, you're a nice person, and all you need is a little bit of persuading to come into the kingdom of God, and that really, deep down in your heart, yes, you do the odd thing wrong, but really, you're a lovely person. And, you know, yes, your heart does things wrong now and again, but don't we all? And therefore, you're just a step away from the kingdom of God. Dear friends, we are not a step away from the kingdom of God. We are rebels in our hearts. We hate God. And that's why we need God to do the saving. No course can save a man from hell. No course, nothing of ourselves can save anybody, only the Lord, only God. So when an evangelist goes to a person who's unregenerate, there's nothing he can do of himself to save that person. That means that evangelist needs to be absolutely cast upon God for any words that he is to bring. Oh, to see the seriousness of it, dead in trespasses and sins. No hope in this world, blinded by the God of this world, enslaved to iniquity. That's where we were. That's what we're like. Only God can save. But let me get back to this particular statement here in this verse. Philippians 2 verse 12, second part. God which worketh in you both to will and to do. You've been born again. If you've been born again of the Spirit, you've been given new desires. There was a time when before you were saved, the thought of being in a church, the thought of reading the Bible, the thought of praying was anathema to you. But now God is working in you and the desires have changed. When one is born again of the Spirit, yes, the old nature may be there. And it is there. And that's why we fall into sin. But God has given us a new nature. And God has given us ability now to be different. And we find God's working in our lives to desire new things that once we never desired. This is one of the evidence that you've been born again of the Spirit of God. You have different desires. Different desires. If the word of God is an inconvenience to you, if coming to church on a Sunday is an inconvenience, it's just something you do because you have to keep others happy. If it's, if it's praying is an inconvenience to you, if somehow worshipping God is something you just do because you know you have to do it, others may feel that you're not a nice person if you do it, or whatever it may be. If these things are inconvenient to you, then one wonders... Have you ever been born again of the Spirit of God? 
Because what happens when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you find there's a desire in your heart to read the Word of God. Isn't there? Come on, there has to be. (laughs) There's something that comes in you where you want to open the Scriptures, don't you? It's like when a child is in the womb, when that child eventually is born. You don't need to try and program that child to be longing for milk. You're not going to be saying to that, but now how can I say to this baby, they must want food? How can I try and get this person? It doesn't make any sense, does it? When you're born, you hunger and you thirst. When you're born again of the Spirit, you do exactly the same. Exactly the same. Now, dear friends, if this has been your experience, that the Word of God has started to delight your heart, I'm not saying that 24 hours a day, all you want to do is be in the Bible. I understand our old nature comes into play. But the point is, God is working in you, and there's a new desire, there's a longing, there's a seeking after spiritual things, when at once all you were concerned about was men's opinion of you and what, what you could do to impress other people. Now you're concerned with heavenly things. It's something that you haven't tried to program. It's something that God has done in you. Now, if this is your experience, you should be so joyful this morning. This is something to be glad about. God has given you a desire for things you once despised. No wonder this is what John Newton wrote, didn't he? In his famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I'm different now. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old has passed. The new has come. Everything is new when you come into Jesus Christ. That should be our experience. Why? Because God is working in both to will Not only just is God working in your life to give you new desires to enable you, uh, how shall I put it? Not only the Lord is giving you fresh desires and heavenly desires, but also the Lord gives you the power to do what he commands in the word of God. Isn't this amazing? What a salvation you've been given this morning, dear friends. God, even now, is working in your life using situations in your life, but working inwards according to his power to transform the desires of your heart and then to give you the power to do what he commands. This is amazing. This is so opposite to every other form of religion on this planet. Every other form of religion on the planet requires you to climb up to God. But the Lord Jesus has stooped down to you and he's come to you and he's come to save you. And he says, let me into your life. And if I come in, I'll do the changing. Isn't it incredible? So different from Islam. So different from every other form of religion. This is a, this is a faith whereby God gives the power to do what he commands us to do. No wonder it says in the 1 John that the commandments of God are not burdensome. Well, they're not actually. If you're born again of the Spirit of God and God is working in your life, you're being filled with the Spirit. The commandments of God actually are not burdensome to you. 
It's not as though you sort of think, oh, I've got to do this because the Lord wants me to do this, you know. I've got to do that because... No, God gives the desire to do his word, and not only does he give the desire, but he gives the power to do it. What mercy, what grace... You're concerned about the commandments of God. You're concerned, how am I going to reach to God's standard? How am I going to be somebody? I see the commandments of God, and I sort of think, how on earth am I going to reach to them? Dear friend, don't you realize that you can't? Have you not come to the conclusion that it's impossible? You just read the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find it's impossible to live that kind of life. Jesus put it it's so out of reach so that none of us are able to do it of ourselves. But one person has been able to do it, and that's the Lord Jesus. And he says, I can do it again. I can reproduce this life in you by my spirit. Let me in. Allow me to transform you. And when God comes into the, the, the vessel of clay, you find that he begins and she begins to change. The anger that was surrounding that person's life, somehow the power of it's been broken from over them. Do you see, dear friends, what is conversion unless there's change? Why are we not saying to people, there needs to be evidence that you're born again? But today we so emphasize, oh, you've said yes to Jesus, it's fine, you're through the door. No! Not in a million years. That's not the salvation that Jesus came to give. So that people could say yes. He came to give us life in all its fullness to transform us and deliver us from the power of sin over our lives. And I stand to say that there needs to be evidence in your life and evidence in my life that we've been born again. Where is it? And why do we not require it? We don't require it within the church, do we? Very often we're quiet over requirements within the Word of God. Where's the evidence? Now, dear friends, consider this. Isn't it the most important thing in your life? If it's a matter of eternity, if it's a matter of where you're going to be for all eternity, shouldn't there be a little bit of examination? By how much examination do you put into it? Do you check whether you're actually in the faith? Or do you say, well, no, it's okay. And please, I'm not saying this glibly, but people say this. It's okay, I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven or six. I'm not really living the Christian life now, but it's all right. I heard a, a, quite a well-known speaker say that about their child. Their child isn't really walking with the Lord now, but because they made a profession of faith so many years ago, they're, they're now okay. It's not a problem. It doesn't matter that they're not living a godly life. Of course it matters. And it's not, I'm not speaking here about the issue of eternal security. You will find there are those who believe on the Arminian perspective and the Calvinistic perspective that this kind of teaching of just giving your life to the Lord and it doesn't matter how you live is contrary to sound doctrine. Doesn't matter whether you listen to David Pawson or A.W. Pink. Different spectrums. Both of them will say that's not right. And in fact, it's not right from the perspective that you and I need, need to show forth the fruit, do we not? A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. We know that, don't we? Well, what kind of fruit are we producing? Are we producing the fruit of the Spirit? What is that? It is love, joy, peace, patience. Have you got these qualities in your life? Self-control. There needs to be evidence that I've been born again, doesn't there? 
And God says concerning the believer, he's working in both to will and to do for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. This is the wonderful thing. You see how glorious an issue this, this matter is. When you consider in your heart, you cannot reach the glory of God. All, fall, all sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of, the, none of us in a million years can live up to the way God wants us to. Only the Lord Jesus can live up to the way God wants us to live. And a little bit of religion here or there is just a deception. We can have a form of religion but deny its power. We need to, to prove that we've really, genuinely been born again of the Spirit of God. Well, I want to make this a very clear and important issue. It would be wrong for me not to. The word will here, mentioned that God worketh in you both to will, means to wish, to be inclined to, and to desire. And the word to do, this really is speaking to us of an operative power in our lives. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. You say, what if I find out I'm not? What if you don't examine yourself and find out you're not when it's too late? That, to me, is much worse. And if there's true faith and the reality of the life of Christ flowing in your life, then you've nothing to fear, have you? But just ask the Lord to show forth... Am I really bringing forth the fruit of someone who's living the life of Christ? Now, I mentioned this because back in verse 12, Paul actually says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he actually says, if God is working in you, if God's life is in you by his spirit, there needs to be a working out of that with much diligence. I cannot simply assume God is working in me. I have to examine whether I'm in the faith. But if I'm in the faith, if God is working in me, surely that work of God in me must be precious to me. Mustn't it? You think of previous uh, uh, times in your life where you were bound by certain sins and you found it difficult to overcome them and as you've gone on with the Lord the Lord has given you the power to turn from that particular sin in your heart you've lost the desire for certain sins that you once desired are you with me? now that is something to consider great in your life consider that highly Put that as something marvelous. God is working in me. Therefore, I must work it out. It must be expressed according to God's desires and wishes. I want to be able to outwork what God has worked in. Work it out with fear and trembling. This is a far cry, isn't it, from the kind of teaching that we are now encountering today. Where people are putting such an emphasis on simply asking the Lord into your life, and then it's okay to live how you like. I mean, it's not that people would say that necessarily. But I find people making this an excuse for sin by saying they're under the grace of God. 
Isn't it an amazing thing? To use the grace of God in such a way to hide behind it so that you can continue in sin. That's completely opposite to what Paul's saying within this passage, isn't it? He's saying, no, we've got to work out with fear and trembling what God is working in. In other words, what God gives to you, be a good steward of. Be diligent over it. It's a gift. It's God's mercy that you desire to change. Now watch that. Don't despise it. Don't simply uh, enjoy it for the moment when you suddenly find that you're, in a sense, free from a particular sin. But move into the work of God in that particular area. Are we watching over the way we live, friends? Are we careful about it? God's working in us. Surely if he's working in me by his spirit, I must be careful how that's worked out. I'm a servant of God, am I not? You're a servant of God. Let's make it practical. You are somebody who once liked to, as it were, be out with the lads, getting drunk, doing things that are foolish. But somehow God worked in you and saved you from that lifestyle. And your friends are saying, come out, let's go and drink again. Let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And you sort of think, well, I don't desire to do that anymore. But... There's no problem in just going out for a drink. Let's just go. Look, it's, we're under grace. We're not under law. Let's just enjoy ourselves, okay? I don't need to necessarily get into sin, but, you know, God will keep me. Is that working out our salvation with fear and trembling? Trembling? Certainly not. And fear and trembling doesn't mean that you become superstitious or you become somebody who's sort of lives as though they're in a straitjacket. Do you understand what I mean? It's not as though you live your Christian life on eggshells. It means that you're holding precious what God has given to you. He's given you new desires, and you don't want to despise that. Do you understand? We mustn't despise the good changes that God has wrought in our lives, must we? Allow the Lord to continually show us how they're to be worked out. Well, I want to go on from this to mention the other verse in the book of 2 Peter in chapter 1. Wherefore, verse 10, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Well, that's another way of saying the same sort of thing, isn't it? Before, in, in Paul's letter, Paul is saying, basically, work out your salvation with fear and trembling Peter is saying, give diligence to make your calling an election sure. What does that actually mean? Well, let's ask the question. Number one, has God called you? Has God called you? Somebody's got a... <laughs> right. Has God called you? Are you the called of God? When you were born again of the Spirit, did you know that God was calling you to himself, out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Secondly, are you one of the Lord's elect? Has the Lord picked you out of this world? Has he chosen you for his own special purpose? Are you called and chosen? Are you called and the elect of God? Well, here, Peter says, firm it up, basically. Give evidence for it. Make sure you're sure. <laughs> How? If you do these things, you shall never stumble. What do you need to do? Well, you go back to verse 5, and he says, Give in all diligence, add to your faith virtue. He speaks of knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. That means love. 
Now he's saying, if these things are operative in you, if you are displaying some, to some measure these characteristics, that's showing that you were called an elect of God. Do you see what I mean? There's a proviso. I can't dare say I'm elected and called by God if I'm not living the life. Oh, how this does cut across the way we want to live at times, doesn't it? <laughs> Our old nature and all the rest of it. But it's good for us to experience it. You can thump me afterwards if you like. But this is what the Word of God says. Let me read to you a, a, a verse about those that are truly born of God in 1 John chapter 3. Right, this will be an evidence for you. That you are born of God. This is the evidence that I am born of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil, whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You see, John is saying there's certain things that need to be operative in your life to prove that you're a child of God. There's certain things that need to happen in my life. And he says in verse 9, if we are born of God, we don't commit sin. That, that, that does not mean we don't commit any iniquity whatsoever. Haven't you found in your Christian life you sin time and time again, probably more than you'd want to. But the, John, in his same letter, says that if we, are with, if we say we were out sin, we're in complete denial, you know, basically. So he's not saying that. But what he's saying this, is somebody is born again of the Spirit of God, they're not going to continue in sin. They're not going to go on living the way they once lived. There'll be a change in their lifestyle. They'll no longer be bound by iniquity. They certainly won't be getting drunk every Saturday evening. They won't be living a promiscuous life. They won't be living just watching foul things on the television. They'll be different. They'll be transformed. They'll no longer be bound by the things that they once were bound to. Whatsoever is born of God does not commit sin, certainly not willfully. You won't go on in sin if you're really born of the Spirit of God. Why? For his seed remaineth in him. You see, what is this seed? Well, different scholars have different interpretation of what this word seed means, and you get the various views of it. But essentially, it speaks of that new nature. That new nature that God has put in you, that desire to live a godly life. You, are, you still have the old nature with you, but you've now got a new nature. You've got the very nature of the Lord in you by his spirit. And in this particular verse, what he's saying is the seed, that life remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. So you see, if somebody says to you, I've become a Christian, but they're living exactly the same way they were living before, it's a denial of what the word actually says. And it's not good, dear friends, is it? To just try and confirm people that they're born again of the Spirit, if they're not sure themselves, and if there's no evidence in the way the person is living. 
I remember somebody telling me that they'd become a Christian when I was at university. They'd gone through a particular course and they said they'd become a Christian too. Within a year or two, there was very clear evidence that hardly anything, hardly nothing had changed. And I have to say, I cannot, have, cannot say that I believe that person was particularly born again. Because the evidence would be there if they were. 1 John 3.9 is a really important verse. And it will save us from thinking that we can live licentiously under the banner of the grace of God. Dear brothers and sisters, how are we doing? Now I know that we're not all perfect yet. You've known me long enough to realize that I'm not perfect. It doesn't take long. Just ask my wife. But the fact is, there needs to be progress, doesn't there? There needs to be some kind of evidence that I'm no longer lacking in self-control in the way I once did. You say, this is all very practical, but the word is practical. We need to ask the Lord to show us where we are with him. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Son of God? What a marvelous statement that is, isn't it? So, you and I, if we've been born again, there'll be some evidence that we've overcome in some measure. Will there not? There'll be some evidence. There was something that we were overcome by before. We were in the world. We were overcome by the world. We were overcome by the God of this world. But now, thanks be to God, we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can know what it is to overcome sin. And there should be a testimony in our lives that we've overcome. If we're in love with this world, dear friends, the love of the Father is not in us. If you love this world the way it is, with all its sin and wickedness and loose living and cheating and stealing and murder and strife, if you love things the way they are and you're quite happy with this type of life, dear friends, something's very defective about your Christianity. And, and mine. Do not love the world. Verse 18 of chapter 5. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, himself and the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Now here's another verse, isn't it? Somebody who is begotten of God... Is somebody who is born of the Spirit keeps himself. Keeps himself from what? Well, keeps himself from sin that would open the door to the enemy to ruin him. This is the way we're meant to be functioning, dear friends. Well, I want you to finally turn back with me to the 1 Thessalonians, please. As a last example of what it is 
to be those that are born of God. We've seen that if we're born of God, God is working in us. He's giving us new desires. He's given us the power to do his will. We've seen that if we're born of God, we won't love the world. We, there will be an overcoming in our lives. And we won't keep on abiding in sin. What about this passage in 1 Thessalonians 1? Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election by or of God. Now notice, he says that he knows, Paul knows their election of God. He's convinced that this company of people are a company of people that have, God has got hold of and saved. He's absolutely convinced by it. He says, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. How does he know that? He goes on to say that our gospel came not unto you in the word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Much assurance. He goes on to say that they are examples unto the Lord, uh, to other people round about. What are the things that we can see in this passage that prove that these people are those that are chosen, elected, those that have come to know the Lord Jesus and are truly born again? Well, you'll find the answer in verse 2 and 3. More verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Faith. There we are. Work of faith. Notice faith isn't a feeling and it isn't a belief. It's a work. It's a work. It's something that goes on. Do you remember that when James says about you say that you do well... Um, the demons believe and they tremble. Well, he goes on to speak about Abraham. And he speaks about Abraham and he says of him that when he took Isaac up, as though he's going to kill him, that that was essentially a work of faith. Well, friends, it may be that there's things that we need to put to death in our lives that we haven't done so yet. When we put to death or willing to lay aside or give up things that are not of God in our lives, as the law commands us, that is a work of faith. And God wants us to live that way. It's the way to sanctification. Have faith. The work of faith. Secondly, labor of love. Labor of love. Not labor of strife. Not, la not labor for labor's sake, but labor of love, not of works. <coughs> This is a working as a result. The motive is love. Well, what do we know the fruit of the Spirit is? It's love, isn't it? And love motivates the believer to action. His labors are not there to be seen by men. He labors out of love because love has been put in his heart. Read Romans chapter 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. By the Spirit. It's an evidence, isn't it? That we're really born again when we do things, not so that we can get brownie points with God, but because we love the people we serve and we love God. 
the labour of love. And thirdly, the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he goes on to say at the end there in verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. The patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the hope of the believer? It's the Lord Jesus coming back again. That's what the hope of the believer is. And for us, dear friends, to in a sense have no concern over whether the Lord Jesus is coming back again. No desire in our hearts. Not really thinking about it. Never actually saying to the Lord, oh, come Lord Jesus. If nothing of that is in our hearts, then we need to begin to examine our Christianity again. Don't we? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that reasonable? It seems to me when somebody is born again of the Spirit, they love the Lord. I'm not saying every five minutes you're saying, come Lord Jesus, and come some kind of vain repetition. I'm talking about just in your heart. Isn't there a time when you see the world is so empty, so lost, so dark, and just there's something of a pang in your heart. You just think, oh, come Lord. You ever had that? Just occasionally when it's been in your heart and you've just said, oh, we need you to come, Lord. Guard that desire. That's good. This is what you and I will want to do. Before we had no concern about the return of the Lord, but now we want the return of the Lord. Isn't that some evidence? It's evidence as well, isn't it, in this particular passage that these people turn to God from idols. To serve the living God. Have you turned from idols? I'm not talking about little images that look rather odd sitting on your mantelpiece. I trust that they got thrown out years ago. But what idol is there? What's holding your heart? Keep yourself from idols. That's how 1 John finishes, isn't it? May the Lord deliver us from the love of idolatry. Within our hearts, may it be that the Lord is everything. Well, friends, you may say, well, some of these things I recognize I'm on the road. Other things, I don't feel I'm quite there yet. Well, that's the process of sanctification, isn't it? None of us are perfect. If we were perfect, we'd be in glory right now. But we're on the road. We're in the process of being transformed from one degree of glory to another. The Spirit of God is in us. He's working in us to love the things of God and to do the will of God. His commandments are not burdensome. And he's given us the grace to turn from sin. Actually, dear friends, sin may be pleasurable for a moment, for a time. But the ultimate end of sin is death. And why would you desire to live in such a state? Why would you want to be gripped by such a thing? The fact that we perceive in our hearts that sin is something that's enjoyable and that we feel that we should be able to enter into but can't because we're Christians shows that we're deceived over the very sin. We don't see the end of it. But brothers and sisters, sin doesn't make you happy in the long run. Only God does. And may it be that as we are weaned off things that are not of God and come into the things of God, we come into more with God. We will be making our calling and our election sure. We'll be shining forth. I have been born again of the Spirit. God's given me new desires. I've got new power to live the way I should. Didn't John put it like this? I must decrease and he must increase. So, dear friends, I just fear that we're in danger of losing qualification. 
concerning the new birth. This is something that must remain. If somebody says they've been born again of the Spirit, it doesn't automatically mean they are. It simply means that they're professing they know the Lord, but the evidence is not purely in the confessing of the mouth, but the fruit that comes from that life. May the Lord deliver us from such a shallow Christianity. May the Lord help us to realize afresh. Dear friends, you may still feel there's things in your life that you haven't overcome. We're all there, aren't we? There's all things still to be dealt with in our lives. But he who begun a good work in you. This is the marvelous thing, friends. You think that you're somebody who's so difficult for the Lord. You can't imagine God would ever be faithful to his word concerning your soul because you've tripped up now and again and you've done this thing wrong and you feel you've done that thing wrong, but you know God's working and you know there's a change and there's a process. Friends, remember, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Cannot deny himself. With the Lord, there is no shadow of turning. Oh, thank God that you woke up this morning and you found that his mercies were new this morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. Great is the faithfulness of God over my life. Great is the faithfulness of God. You can have an assurance. You're not what you should be, but thank God you're not what you were. And thank God he's working in your life for the future. Thank God that you've had deliverance from some sins. And if God's delivered you thus far, he can deliver you right to the end. And he can bring you to the point where one day you can stand before him faultless in his presence with exceeding joy. That can be your portion. That will be my portion. By the grace of God. What a salvation. Aren't you pleased you know him? If you don't know him, if you're not sure of the things that I've been speaking of this morning, then why not come and see me afterwards? Why not let's talk together? Why not, why not discuss these matters? They're too important to just go out the door with. Praise God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. Oh, dear friends, is it yours? May the Lord grant that we know increasing victories this year over sin. And make our calling and election sure to the glory of God in all our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much that you're a great saviour. Lord, I think of what John Newton once said. I know two things. I am a great sinner, but God is a great saviour. Lord, we're so grateful that you've persisted with us so long. You've striven with us at times to root that sin out of our lives. Oh, we thank you that you don't just tell us to do things and leave us to strive in our flesh. But you command us to do things and then say, here is the power. I'll do it in you. Oh, what a God you are. We thank you for this great salvation, Lord. And we ask that you'd write these words upon our hearts. Now, Lord, if there be any here that haven't experienced any of these particular qualifications, evidences rather, of salvation, we pray that you would bring that to their hearts. Conviction would come and a desire to know you would come. 
Father, we ask these things. Please keep with us all that's been of you. Anything out from myself, we pray that you would take it from us and pardon me for it. But Lord, write your word on our hearts afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for being with us this morning.